what's up everybody? Welcome to Found Flicks. On this inning explained, we're checking out Pray for the Devil, following a nun preparing for an exorcism, and she comes face to face with a demonic force with mysterious ties to her past. This is one that really made an impact with its trailer, namely due to one repeated phrase used ad nauseum. Let me in! It got to the point where I actually started counting how many times when I'd see the trailer. Pretty sure it was seven times total. Impressive for a two minute trailer. Point being, this looked like a stinker from the get go. The movie as a whole didn't do much to change my mind, but it wasn't exactly terrible either. I would just say it was very flat and has tons of things we've already seen in the exorcism subgenre over and over and over. Heck, even the guy that directed this did the last exorcism 10 years ago. It's a very been there, done that feel to the whole affair, and the scares are held back by its PG-13 rating. It does hint at a few interesting ideas along the way, but they don't really amount to much. It did wind up being a lot more unintentionally funny than I would have expected, which actually made it more fun to rip on. So let's enroll in exorcism school and check out Pray for the Devil, breaking down the story, including just what the demonic force is all about, as well as explaining the cliffhanger ending. We begin in the past and learn of the troubled relationship between young Anne and her mother. She dutifully prays and her mom attempts to come in, but the door is locked, probably for good reason. She kindly asks to open up, but her knocking and attitude turns ferocious. Let me in, she screeches and tells straight up breaking the door down. This childhood experience is still with her as an adult, discussing things with Dr. Peters. Her mother was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia, but even as a child, and believed that it was something more going on. Every night she would come into her room. Sometimes she was the mother she knew, and sometimes she wasn't, seeing her creepily hum a song and comb her hair. Little Anne looking mortified. Anne felt that something was actually taking her over and would hurt her. Her mom would later be remorseful for her actions, crying that a voice in her head made her do it. Peters tries to relate to the difficulty of dealing with abuse, but Anne is adamant that it wasn't her mom. She was legit possessed. We learn that in an official capacity, the church has been combating demonic possession since 1835, and in 2018, reports of possession have reached new heights globally, leading to the Vatican opening exorcism schools outside of Rome. Nuns are allowed to serve in a nursing capacity, but are strictly prohibited from learning exorcism. It's reserved for dudes only. Anne has gotten a new gig at just such an exorcism school, and it's pretty ornate inside. Kind of makes you wonder how much this place costs. What seems to be the head dude, Father Quinn, is engaged in a combo with some other road bros and does at least acknowledge Anne with a friendly greeting. That's all you get, woman. In a class with Peter, she reveals the sordid history of dealing with supposedly possessed patients over the past several centuries. Many were simply suffering for what we now know are mental issues, no demons of any kind involved. Even this building was once used to drag women down to a baptismal well where they were drowned to free them from evil spirits. Countless were killed until the practice was finally stopped. Well, now I have total confidence in these guys, right? We've been murdering innocent people for hundreds of years. Want some help? Anna's curious. Is Peter's denying that there are any real cases of possession out there? She admits she's been around long enough to see some things that cannot be explained away. But it's worth noting that the mind is incredibly powerful and loves to play tricks on us to distort our reality. At least the church's approach has evolved over the years and now involves psychiatrists in the process. Before even considering an exorcism, patients must undergo a psych evaluation. Well, that's an improvement at least. Nah, just throw them in the well. It's easier that way. And does her rounds, helping an invalid older man, Clark, to gulp down some applesauce. She's pleased that he likes it. I'll have to remember that, she smiles. She heads to the next room with a new patient, Natalie. She was brought in for an assessment after several alarming symptoms. Could it be a possession? Her mom certainly thinks so, but Peters believes that these tests will prove otherwise. Anne makes fast friends with a girl, discussing her little drawing of a train with a tail to really butter her up, and gives her some candy. Nougaty goodness, she calls it. Yet neither actually know what the hell nougat actually is exactly. 
Delicious. That's all I need to know. Alrighty, Natalie declares that she's her favorite person here. Well, us girls gotta stick together and offers to which the girl concurs. Later that night, the storm is still raging and is drawn to her childhood comb, recalling another painful brushing session. Her mom puts her hair over her face and begins to tug violently, truly appearing possessed. Anne shuts the window and sees Natalie's reflection, but she's alone in the room. Then there's what appears to be the shadow of someone just on the other side of the door. She tiptoes up and puts an ear on it to listen. She slowly opens it up and doesn't spot anything, although Natalie is there down the hall in the shadows. She walks away just as Anne turns. Another door begins to rattle nearby and Anne appears uneasy. What was that about? It's back to work in the morning, and she tries to brush off the previous evening until she hears what sounds like her mother's voice calling her name. Anne, let go, she whispers. She moves on and bumps right into Natalie. She complains of not liking her room and informs her about the mysterious nature of nougat. Did you know that candies have families? I do now, Anne smiles and takes Natalie's hand, escorting her back to her room. She drops her off and the voice is back, accompanied by another aggressively speaking Bulgarian. She starts to snarl and whine eerily, getting angrier and louder. Anne peeks into a classroom, seeing that they are going over a previous case. She quietly takes a seat, catching glowers from the others. Quinn details the patient Elena's current state. She's entered the terminal stage of possession here. Exorcism is still possible, but death, unfortunately, is imminent. And bummer for Elena, death came first. He stresses the dangers at play. Demons never get tired or ever have doubt. The room is akin to a battlefield. It's important to remember the word of God is our most powerful weapon. He clarifies the right is not just a series of prayers. It's a dance, and you gotta be able to learn the cadence of battles. The priest, in Elena's case, made several mistakes, and he poses to the class, what would you have done differently? Again, I'm like, are exorcisms actually successful ever? Ever? Everyone's just dead. Anne digs into the case's records to hopefully find some answers. Amongst the recordings, Elena keeps repeating a certain phrase in Bulgarian, which translates into the voice. This provides a shocking connection to her mother, who also claimed to hear this same the voice entity. Anne is now starting to think that this thing never really even wanted her mother in the first place, but was actually after her, because she is one of God's chosen soldiers. Anne attempts to pursue things further, but is unable to access the terminal case files as her classified. I wonder why, they're probably all dead. Plus, she gets into trouble for sitting in the class, which Quinn did allow. Sister Euphemia won't allow it to continue, however. Women have their assigned places here, and reminds her at one point they weren't even allowed here at all. Wow, thanks guys. Anne is confident that just like the first female doctor, she is going to be the first female exorcist. I'll show you all you dummy guys. She continues with her nunly duties, giving the old man a sponge bath. It's pretty uneventful until he begins to eerily hum a tune, which Anne recognizes is the same that her mother used to sing. He tells her, we've been waiting for you. She removes the sponge and there's a sizzling shape left behind. Her mom singing overtakes the speakers and the man compliments her voice. The door is forced slammed closed and the lights begin to blink. Clark is on his feet and grabs her throat. He growls to let me in, twirling his tongue around and wide-eyed. He takes her in his arms, forcing her to do a little dance around the room, still flailing his tongue the whole time. <laughs> yeah. She shoves him to the floor and suddenly things are back to normal. The head honcho, Cardinal Matthews, reviews the footage and determines that the demon was provoked entirely by Anne's presence. They then quibble over what to do, and unsurprisingly, Quinn suggests to take her under his wing to teach her the art of exorcism. Of course, this is all against precedent, but it's in the interest of protecting her, because as they now understand, this demon has a personal relationship with Anne. So she gets to live her dreams of attending class with the boys, getting more glares of disapproval. Quinn takes him on a tour of the bowels of the facility, utilizing fancy keycards and everything. Along the way, he psychs them up. You gotta keep all thumbs 
thoughts out of your mind. Only the Jesus word, guys. It could be the difference between life and death. He takes them to a newly brought in subject, which is of course Natalie, her condition having worsened. Quinn calls for volunteers, and Anne eagerly shoots her hands up. Oh, women, what are we gonna do with you? Dante and Quentin pull double duty. Quinn encouraging they have done exorcism in a way when baptizing babies. <laughs> this is pretty much the same thing. Oh, and one last thing, make sure to keep that mind really clear because the devil will draw forth the darkest recesses of one's mind, exposing our innermost secrets and pain. It uses this pain to break into your soul, so yeah, better be careful about that. The guys enter the room under the guidance of Quinn. Natalie is afflicted with black eyes and sees something moving under her skin. They try to cast the demon out and she puts her fingers in her ears singing, I can't hear you. She then jams them all the way deep into the ear canals, causing them to spritz some holy water. This sends her crawling up the wall to the ceiling. The electricity goes on the fritz and Quinn orders for them to pray together. Double prayer power activate! Just as Quinn warned, Natalie targets Dante's drama, speaking Spanish and specifically using the phrase mi chica. They continue the rites, but Natalie is more interested in Anne. She brings her hands over her face and stigmata wounds appear, from which maggots start to flow. Mmm, pretty gross. She brings her hands down and lunges at the glass, barking to let me in. It must be serious, as Quinn enters to lend a hand. She flings herself away and weirdly slides under the bed. The sheets rise, and Quinn yanks back the covers to nothing. She grabs his legs from below, sending him right on his ass. Wow, pretty impressive work there, guy. Looks like all that training really paid off. She emerges on the other side and grossly cracks her spine back into place. It's Anne's turn with the girl, calling her by her name. She hisses in response and keeps trying to reach the child within the demon, not the typical way she was taught. This lady is a maverick, I'll tell you what. Quinn groans for her to not go off book, but she's too headstrong and it appears to work. The girl cries, I'm here, and seems to calm down, shuddering that she's scared. She grunts and collapses to the floor. Stupidly, her own hair turns against her, getting sucked into her mouth. The bros try to yank it out as the others continue to pray. Another hand pukes out of her mouth and lets go of the hair. The presence is suddenly gone and the girl is back, gasping and crying. Well, goes to show you, dummies, that's how you exercise, you idiots. However, Anne isn't exactly feeling victorious. Even though Dante encourages, she really did get through to the girl and weaken the demon. She doesn't see it that way, crediting Quinn's aid for saving the day. Dante is rattled and reveals why. He shows off a drawing of Natalie's featuring a sad pregnant girl labeled Michika. It depicts his sister who lost a baby who was conceived in less than desirable ways. Ever since losing the child, Amelia has been afflicted. The demon continues toying with Anne. When replacing her exorcist toolkit, she notices a sheet draped over a body in the other room. It's her mom, underneath, looking cold and pale. She gets in for an even closer look, and there's a loud thud. When she spins back, her mother has vanished. She then surprises her from behind, wrapping her hands around her face. But it's just a dream. Or was it? She enters Natalie's room, finding her asleep. She surprises her with a hello, and Anne inquires what she remembers about the incident. Not much, really, beyond a lot of shouting voices, but then there was another, the voice, she calls it. She recalls Anne was there, too, but not yelling like the others. She then tenderly strokes her arm and the girl out of nowhere angrily grabs at her. Anne believes Natalie wasn't fully purified and Quinn isn't too sure himself. There is a potential grave outcome if they can't figure things out soon. She'll be transferred to the Vatican, meaning she's a terminal case. Anne is upset at this prospect and Quinn chides her. They're not supposed to make friends with their patients. He basically tells her this is out of her depth. If you want to help, go do some praying, little lady. Her power is in the spirit, not the flesh, she's told. And hey, who knows? She still might make a full recovery. To find out just what happened with the terminal cases, she enlists Dante's help to help her with the distraction, and is able to sneak into the classified area. She uncovers Pater 
record of many terminal cases. A pattern quickly emerges of the church trying increasingly extreme measures until the patient dies over and over again. So seriously, does exorcism actually ever work? Sure doesn't look like it. And does find one lady, Mila, marked released rather than dead. That's a plus. She checks out her interview tape and as also seems to be a pattern, the devil targeted a specific trauma from her past. As a child, her home was raided by soldiers and she was given the chance to flee, even if it meant her sister's demises. It was this that the devil kept reminding her of when she was possessed. But then she was cleansed, right? Healed? She tears up at the word and grabs at her face, removing a prosthetic piece, revealing a huge chunk of her skin is gone. This was done by her own hand. She kept digging, but couldn't get out the darkness. She prayed for forgiveness, but deep down didn't think that she deserved it. As Anne notes, it was guilt that the devil latched onto. She brings up to Peters how her mom also felt guilty for what she did. She then flashes back to her mother angrily searching for her. She's stomping all around, throwing things all over the place. Anne peeks through the door crack, and her mom finds her threatening to comb her. Ah, comb you good! Time for a brushing, little girl. Anne tries to run, but her mom catches her on the stairs. Peters empathizes with these difficult kind of memories. They're so hard to face head on. Eventually, her mom lost the battle with her demons, and Peters is curious. Does Anne feel responsible? It's a common response, she tells her. And the only way to disarm the memories is to drag them into the light and to confront them head on. Now word from this week's sponsor, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. The new year is the perfect time to set new goals, so why not save money and eat great healthy food with HelloFresh? You can go to HelloFresh.com FoundFlix22 and use code FoundFlix22 for 22 free meals plus free shipping. They have tons of options out there for anybody, from fast and fresh recipes that are ready in 15 minutes, calorie smart and carb smart recipes, and you can even switch out and upgrade proteins and sides. There's a whopping 35 recipes a week to choose from, so you will never get bored. Plus, the recipes are super easy to follow with step-by-step -step directions and pictures so you can make great food no matter how experienced you are. Not only is it tasty, but it's cheaper and easier than grocery shopping and 25% cheaper than takeout. Then there's the delivery fees. Forget about it. They sent me a box to check it out, and my favorite was probably the meatloaves with creamy thyme sauce. It took me only about 30 minutes in total, and boom, time to eat. If you want to try out HelloFresh for yourself, go to HelloFresh.com FoundFlix22 and use code FoundFlix22 for 22 free meals plus free shipping. She goes to check on Natalie, but her access is strangely denied. Another passing nun isn't sure what happened, but perhaps she's being transferred. Uh-oh, time is running out. She confronts Quinn about everything, and he argues that faith is more important than statistics. She denies that the rights are always right, and he scoffs, oh, well, sure, they've only been in place for hundreds of years, but you have notes? She stresses there is a scared little girl at the heart of this whole thing, and Quinn admonishes her once more for making it personal. She agrees, sure, exorcisms are about nuance, but they have to consider the victim here. The goal should be to connect to the afflicted and fight to help them regain their humanity. She has another curiosity, have there ever been any cases that the rights can't account for? Perhaps when someone felt shame and guilt so profound, they actually invited the demon in, surrendering control to it. He makes it clear that if she goes on her own and shuns the church, she'll be walking in the darkness alone. Dante overheard their conversation and thinks he has a surefire way to prove her right, using her particular talents to help his possessed sister. He believes the impossible decision that she had to make is what's been eating at her, and in that guilt, she let the demon in. She's not so sure, but he convinces her that she truly has a gift to connect with the afflicted. If she believes what they're saying, that means Natalie is also still somewhere in there and they could still save her. With that, they team up in earnest to save his sister. Anne gets anointed with some oil and handed a rosary, both still shaky but willing to try. Anne gets Amelia oiled up too, and she immediately starts to gasp and wheeze. Her breathing grows ragged, and she starts to convulse and furiously scratches at her tummy. There's what looks like demon fingers
fingerprint scene. And sure, let's get those nice and oiled up too. Just oil the whole room up already, jeez. And explains they're here to help, and Amelia croaks, it won't stop. That's right, it's the voice. She encourages that it has no power over you if you don't let it. The pair begin the right, and the fan starts to really pick up speed. Amelia confronts Anne over more of her previously undiscovered trauma. You know what it's like to have something growing inside of you, don't you, sister? Yes, Anne reveals, and the fan is really whirring like crazy now. The demon retorts, at least this chick knew who the father was. The candles blow out, and Amelia's stomach starts to inflate. Once at full pregnancy size, she can even see little hands digging around in there. A fan blade goes rogue and has launched, crashing right into the armoire. Serious force on that thing, too. Amelia begins to demonically cackle, and Anne stays calm, continuing to encourage her to expel the demon. This flesh is yours, not its. Fan blades keep flying off, one landing right through a cross. Anne relates that she wanted her own baby to be gone as well, and she gets emotional. She understands how she feels, and knows how shame gets in there and grows. She takes her in her hands, follow me into the pain, and we'll go together. Confess to yourself, and all will be forgiven. Amelia appears to do so, as the demon tummy deflates away, and the candles are relit. Dante is overwhelmed. She actually did it! It's over, she declares. You're free. Freed yourself, even. How about that? Afterwards, she spills the beans to Dante. She got pregnant at the tender age of 15, and was too wasted to even remember the father. This got her kicked out of her foster home, but luckily, she wound up at the convent that took her in. Well, what about the baby? The sisters arrange for its adoption, gifting her a rosary, and she's taken away. Anne remembers only holding her for a moment, but has been with her ever since, starting to tear up. She knows that she abandoned her, but is hopeful that God will forgive her. Dante takes her hand and reminds her that's kind of his whole thing, and according to him, he already has. She later stares at a reflection and tries once more to face her childhood trauma fingering the comb. She starts to force the tangles out herself, really confronting that good old hairbrush trauma. She flashes back to being with her mother and drops the comb, getting overwhelmed. She then winces as though something is really bothering her eye and gets it wide open and starts to pull a long thread out. She gets it out easily enough and when leaning down, a figure briefly appears behind her. The spooks are stopped when the main sister lady informs her the cardinal is requesting her presence. Bad news, it turns out, learning that Amelia didn't make it after all and the blame falls to Anne. She did do the exorcism after all. Anne attempts to defend herself and they put her in her place. She overstepped her skills and stepped right into the devil's snare. Quinn agrees that she's not ready and notes that demons can retreat to avoid further assault. It was merely a deception, not a true defeat. Geez, Quinn, could have told us that earlier. Would have helped, maybe. With that, she's sent packing back to the convent. So, back to a simpler life, doing some gardening around the area. Well, looks peaceful enough. She does still seem preoccupied, staring off into space in her room. Peters later pays her a visit and rips on the place for being pretty grim, even though some notable lady used to stay here. And is impressed. She's into scholarly ladies, too. And she's like, well, I'm an academic. I like to hear both sides. What's the big deal? And still thinks she really did get through to the girl. And Peters gets real. You can't save every patient. Oh, but hey, good news. Natalie was released after a period of observation, they deemed her just fine. Peters encourages that she's on a new path in her life. It's easy to feel lost. You just gotta keep going. Thanks. But unsurprisingly, Natalie wasn't so cured after all. Dante comes, informing her that she suffered a relapse and was rushed back to the school. We see her in an ambulance, and Natalie puts up quite a fight, knocking an EMT away and setting the priest's crucifix ablaze. By the time they made it to the school, everyone had been brutally slain. Anne offers to pray for her, but what can she do? She's going to be transferred to Rome. Dante retorts, there's no time for that. They moved her down to the catacombs into a holding cell, part of the original structure. I knew it, they're gonna drown her. No, not really, but you knew that all had to come back. 
back, right? And is still disillusioned. Why are you telling me all this? Dante hands over a rosary that Natalie was holding, and you betcha, it's the same one that she gave to her baby all those years ago, meaning Natalie is her daughter, which she reveals to Dante. She knows the demon is using Nat to get to her, and she vows she won't let it happen any longer. They prepare for the big to-do, getting the rituals going and stuff, and arrives in a dark hooded ensemble and stands out front in a shot that's a total ripoff of The Exorcist. Not that they're the first ones to do that. The duo venture deeper into the older area of the building, coming across the old baptism death pond filled with holy water. A group of priests are already gathered around Nat's cell, and at the sight of Anne, tell her to buzz off. Natalie is happy to see her, however, glad to see she got her invitation. Anne asks Nat to let the others leave, and the girl isn't interested in compromising. She starts breaking free from her chains and kicks off the power, hearing the chains snapping and metal creaking in the darkness. She begins to hum her mother's song, and Anne keeps trying to reach through to Natalie, telling her to stay strong. She replies that she can't hear her and flings the other priests away. Raymond is the last one launched, disappearing all the way down a dark hall. Dante chases after him, but it is dark as shit down here, especially without power. Anne catches up to him and takes the lead, where they come to Raymond's mangled corpse. Well, shouldn't have been such a douche, I guess. They round the corner to Natalie waiting, and she innocently asks her mommy why she left her. I'm so scared and alone without you. Anne knows it's not really Natalie. I know who I'm talking to. Natalie steps out into the light, and she is looking pretty messed up. She wants her to be honest. Why did you really give me away? I was 15, Anne stammers, but she knows that's not the real answer. What happened to your mother, she poses. She sacrificed herself to save you. That's why you couldn't be a mother. You couldn't be responsible for another life. But I can now, Anne proudly states. She confidently struts up to her and tells the demon, you win. Effectively, she allows the demon to possess her in order to save the girl. The whole thing that she had been avoiding so long in the first place. Eh? Gotta face that trauma, baby. The girl runs up and gives her a big hug and Anne takes her in her arms. I love you so much, she cries, and a wispy dark spirit leaves Natalie and goes right for Anne. Dante grabs the girl, but doesn't run for some reason, just kind of stands there. Anne is taken over by the darkness, croaking for him to run. Her bones crunch, her body distorts, and she is levitated into the air. Only now does Dante decide to make a break for it. What are you waiting for, bud? For her to turn totally evil? Because that is basically what happens. Now when he gets to the door, she slams it shut. Natalie comes to, and Dante sends her through a spot under the guise of an innocent game of hide-and-seek. Anne is brought right side up, and then settles on her feet, going right after the others. Dante feebly holds up his cross in defense, hearing her footsteps approaching, only for her to appear on the other side of the door. <laughs> Trickaroo. He fumbles with the lock, and she teleports right in front of him. He pleads to let Natalie go, and she flings him away. The girl is heaving in her hiding spot, hearing soft footsteps approach. Anne reaches down, and yanks her over, bringing her right to the well. She growls, to not be scared, and lowers her towards the water. She stops by her mother's voice, telling her to let her go. She flashes back to several relevant conversations, like how her mother never gave up on fighting the demon from within to the very end. She stares into Natalie's eyes, seeing her as a baby. Let her go, her mother repeats, and releases her grip, and grunts, rising up, roaring primally. Her jaw extends to hyper-large proportions, and her leg is dragged, causing it to snap, and lifts her rosary, fighting against herself. Her mouth gets big again, and she places the cross right onto her head. She roars and plunges into the waters, as more inspirational words continue echoing in her ears. Her mother tells her once more to let go, hearing her heartbeat slow to a stop, and she sees one final moment with her and Natalie holding hands. Dante finally busts inside, seeing the well sizzling and the demon growls, and floats back to the surface, and the lights all buzz back on. He pulls her out of the water, choking and gasping, but alive. Everything is gonna be okay. And recovers in the aftermath, and Natalie finally gets to leave for good this time. The nurse drags her mom away for some paperwork, allowing them some alone time, and it's hopeful that she'll soon forget about all this trauma when she goes home. It'll all 
all fade away with time. Nat sweetly tells her that she doesn't want to forget about her, and smiling back, then don't. The girl gifts her the weird worm train drawing, and Anne promises to treasure it forever. They share a big embrace, and Anne can't help but get emotional. She steps out in the hall, watching as the girl is carried away, giving one last emotional wave goodbye. The Cardinal has to eat crow, and admit that Anne is pretty cool after all. As a result, she's given a research fellowship at the Vatican for exorcism. Whoa! See, women can be exorcists too, stupid men. The nun lady, again, is all, it's unprecedented. I know, we know. Jeez, you bring it up every time. And always supportive Quinn knows that she can make a real difference there. In the lobby, she stops for a moment at a statue depicting an angel defeating a demon and gives it a smile of appreciation. Quinn joins her and she thanks him for everything. And he is obliged to point out that she is technically not the first female exorcist. Don't forget about St. Catherine back in the 1300s. See, we let one woman do it before and you should feel lucky. So, you know, she's the first one in several centuries, at least. He gives her one last important piece of advice. Be careful. Now that she knows the devil, the devil knows her too. Meaning she's going to be putting up with this devil guy a lot more now. Almost immediately, she encounters exactly what he warned about and gets a taxi and her mom's creepy tune returns over the radio. Mm -hmm. She cautiously eyes the passerbys in the streets with a new keen perspective. They're stopped in traffic and she catches gazes with another woman staring right at her. She looks away and the woman appears closer. The driver begins to softly whisper her name and the doors all lock on their own. The woman is right at the window now with milky eyes. She turns to the other seat and the driver is there. She lifts up her cross and he growls, lunging at her. I think the point here is this is only the beginning of the battle for Anne. This is going to be going on for the rest of her days. Maybe one day she'll actually be able to take the devil out once and for all, but that's not the day. It's almost like they're setting up a sequel in a way, with Anne moving over to Rome and becoming an exorcist and all that stuff, and that actually sounds uh, way better than this movie, but uh, oh well. That brings us to the conclusion of this ending explained for Pray for the Devil. And don't forget before we go, you can send me requests for any movies or TV shows you'd like to see me explain by sending them my way on any of my social media accounts at Foundflix. What did you think of Pray for the Devil and its ending? What's your favorite exorcism flick? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow. Thanks for watching Foundflix. See you next time.